It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. We're really pleased to have joining us on the program today, Ian Johnson is a Stephen A. Schwartzman Senior Fellow for China Studies at the Council on Foreign Relations, has a great piece out on what actually is going to happen at China's Party Congress. We've been hearing a lot about that. Obviously, uh, President Xi, Xi is uh, looking at consolidating power. And uh, Ian, we appreciate you making some time for us today. My pleasure. And so let's let's start with just kind of the basics for those who, uh, who haven't been following China as closely as you have. Uh, just describe to us a little bit about what this meeting is and uh, what is really the setup in terms of how power will play out at this Congress. Yeah, so China, the, the Communist Party, which runs China, has this a Congress every five years. And at every other Congress, so every 10 years, usually a new leader is appointed. So normally you get a leader, say Xi Jinping took power in 2012. Uh, by 2017, by the next Congress, you'd kind of know who his successor would be. And by 2022, this year, Xi Jinping would be retiring and the successor would be taking power. That's what happened in 2012 when he took power and it what happened in 2002. But this year is different because Xi Jinping is not retiring. He has unilaterally gotten rid of those term limits, and he's staying on as head of the country for another five years or 10 years. Unclear. <laughs> uh, so so walk us through that a little bit in, in terms of what he has been able to do. Uh, has it just been a, a sweeping, you know, a broad brush to take that kind of power? Uh, what is What are the inner workings uh, in terms of how that played out? Well, he came to power in 2012 as a consensus choice by the Communist Party to clean house. He was seen as somebody who was necessary to get corruption under control. Corruption affected people every day. It didn't affect visitors to China so much. It wasn't the kind of place where you'd slip $5 to the police officer and your speeding ticket would be erased. But it was it was a place where to get business done, where to do things you had to wine and dine and help uh, party officials go, send their kids to Harvard or, or someplace like that. And there was there was just a lot of corruption that affected people on a, on a daily basis. And so he came in and cleaned house, but he used this anti-corruption campaign not just to get rid of corrupt officials, but to get rid of all of his enemies. Mm. So that allowed him to kind of – because everybody in this system to some degree was corrupt. You could always find something that somebody had done five years ago, ten years ago, whatever. And so if you wanted to get somebody, you could use corruption to get them. And he used them to sideline all of his major rivals and enemies – and then decided just to stay on, essentially arguing that China needed a strong leader now to guide it through a turbulent world and, and to achieve the kind of things that he wants to achieve. Yeah. And is there any is there really any opposition left? You talk about him being able to sideline some of those uh, that would be his natural political rivals. Uh, is there anything left there? What is it? What does the future look like? There are a lot of people who don't like Xi Jinping. If you talk to 
many people in religious organizations, filmmakers, academics, journalists, a lot of people who maybe have a different vision for China, who just want a more open China, who don't want such an authoritarian strongman running the country. He's not popular among those people. But those people have been silenced. Um, there's very draconian censorship, which has been very effective in social media in, in killing all of those opposing voices. I mean, you see these dramatic lockdowns for covid There'll be people who oppose it and on social media, and maybe for a few days they, they get traction and they can say stuff and even post videos about how bad the lockdowns are and how people are hungry and can't get food and so on and so forth. But pretty quickly, the government censors come in and, and silence them. So he has done a pretty thorough job in cracking down on dissent of any kind. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, and so you, as, as you look at that, both from an internal and an external standpoint, uh, obviously the, 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 the internal influence and control is, is there. Uh, how does the third term change the way he interacts or plays things out on the international stage? Well, one thing he's done is adopt a much harsher tone internationally. They call this wolf warrior diplomacy, where the, the diplomats become very undiplomatic and they'll go around to different countries and tell the host countries what they ought to do, what they shouldn't do. Don't anger us by doing this. Don't do that. Uh, China has become very bellicose in terms of expansionist in places like the South China Sea, building military bases. There's a long-term military strategy or, or modernization, which isn't all due to Xi Jinping. It started many years earlier, but on his watch, China's launched two aircraft carriers. Another one is being built. It's starting to become a real military power that can project power, acquiring bases overseas in South Asia and Africa, not anything like United States, which has scores and scores of bases around the world, but still, you can see this thing building up. And I think he's been a proponent of that over the past 10 years. And we can expect that to continue, especially regarding hotspot areas like Taiwan. Yeah, in fact, that was where I was going to ask uh, next. What does this What does this mean for Taiwan? Obviously, a lot of attention there, uh, a lot of rhetoric uh, there, and of course, a lot of uh, plays uh, both from China and from the U.S. in terms of uh, people going in and out and uh, and what's happening. Uh, what what does the future of Taiwan look like in a third uh, term for Xi Jinping? Yeah, well, just for people who you know maybe have forgotten, but Taiwan is a self-governing island. It has been part of China in the past, but since World War II, it's been run independently. It has developed into a very thriving, vibrant democracy with a free press and a free economic structure. It's got about 25 million people and it's on this island. It's it's not right next to China. It's, it's a significant distance away. And so China has claims on it and says, no, it's an inalienable part of our country, just as 
you know, Hawaii or Alaska are part of the United States. Taiwan is part of China, um, and it claims it as its territory. In this past summer, they, they issued a policy paper in Beijing which said that Taiwan was absolutely crucial. There was no way for China to move forward without, you know, they used, they used stronger language than they'd ever used in the past to make it clear that there had to be a solution to the Taiwan problem. That solution has to be unification with China. This is not something that's popular in Taiwan. Most Taiwanese people don't want this. And this is going to be a real point of friction moving forward. And I think having a third term will allow Xi to concentrate on other priorities. In the past year, he's been really focused on COVID and on this party Congress coming up. Once he's got this behind him, I think we can see him move, turn his attention to areas such as Taiwan and and maybe put more pressure on Taiwan. Yeah, and then finally, as uh, you look at how this impacts the United States, obviously we go head-to-head with China on a host of things economically and uh, obviously looking at the relationship between China and Russia. Uh, and there are also areas that where we, we actually need China, like in dealing with North Korea and, and some of those things. How do you see that uh, playing out uh, once we move through this Congress? I don't see China moderating its position. I think a lot of this does come from the top. Now, you could say that he will be able to change course. That's true. I mean, he could change course and take a more moderate position and maybe back away from Vladimir Putin a little bit. On the other hand, he could have done this earlier as well. So I don't see them changing course too much. I don't think they're going to, they're not allies with Russia in the sense that they're not military allies. I don't see China sending military support, for example, to Russia. But you could already see that China is stepping in to buy the oil and gas that Western countries aren't buying anymore. I think you can see that kind of thing continue if there's ways to help Russia with financing and that sort of thing. They run into financial difficulty. I could see China doing that. So I think that China will continue on this path without, you know, huge changes, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, And is there anything else that you're watching maybe under the radar in terms of uh, what comes next or things we should kind of keep our eye on as this continues to move forward? Well, I think both countries, both the United States and China, have to figure out a way to live with each other. And this is something that we we have to deal with the fact that even though there are many, many parts of Chinese policy that we don't agree with, we have to have some way of getting along with them on some level because our economies are so intertwined. We're part of the same world, you know? And so on things like say climate change or other areas like that, drugs, et cetera, we have to find a way to work with China. So we have to put in place, I think, some kind of mechanisms such as existed in the Cold War, where there are more regular summits between the leaders, not where we expect there to be some breakthrough, but just to make sure we're in contact with them. Yeah. And that that sort of thing, I think, has to, we have to find some kind of mechanism yeah. to deal with China, even while not accepting everything that China does. Uh, great insight. Ian Johnson's a Stephen A. Schwartzman Senior Fellow for China Studies at the Council on Foreign Relations. Ian, thanks for joining us today. Great insight on a crucial part of the world and one that's going to impact all of us in the years ahead. Thanks for being with us. My pleasure. We've covered Russia. We've covered China globally. Now we'll look closer to home. Georgia and Pennsylvania on the mind. Battleground races. March to the midterms. We'll focus on that. Coming up next. Stick around. I'm Dave Cauley investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. 
In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.